I have got a word for the, um, for this morning. Um, actually, a few weeks ago, I, I spoke on Peter in the book of Acts. Remember? Of course you do. You've, you've remembered every word of it. Yeah. And um, I was meant to be following it up the, the week after. You can start coming down, Brian, if you like. Um, the, the week after, but um, it snowed. I was snowed off. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I'm bringing the second part to it now. Before I do, to help remind you about what I was bringing on uh, that first uh, Sunday, well, this, so this is the second half, I've asked Brian to read a poem that he's written, because one of the things I was trying to encourage you to think about is Peter, you know, in Acts 10, where he, God shows him that he was not to call anything or anyone unclean whom God had called clean. There's no them and us, and we have to be open to discovering God in Everyone, especially perhaps those who society might discard and overlook and marginalize. Now bear that in mind, please, as uh, Brian reads this poem to you. And we'll be putting this on the blog as well. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, God woke me at 4 a.m. one morning and gave me a word. So, uh, like he does sometimes. And, uh, uh, later that day, I sat and wrote this. For I love everyone. I love you all with a deep passion. I want you each to prosper. Know my peace and fulfill your potential. That means you, Marcus. Means you, Trevor. Means you, Paul. Yeah, means you, Marjorie. Time still. Yeah, means you, Brian, Han. Yeah. <laughs> means you, Jav. Means the new little one there, just having his bottle. <laughs> Right now, I want to especially bless and draw attention to those amongst you who may be marginalized due to the way that I made them. I'll read that again. Right now, I want to especially bless and draw your attention to those amongst you who may be marginalized due to the way that I made them. That's the word of God. He made it for a reason. Nobody living to my eyes is less than perfect. For each of you is unique. No two people are the same. Unfortunately, the society you inherited and continue to develop in is very discriminatory. Has a hierarchy of capacities and rewards, gives greater attention to those it most values. My desire is that you reach out to, give your special attention to the marginalized amongst you. All these will include all ages 
are those who may be dyslexic, dyspraxic, think differently from most of us, have some physical capacity limitations, don't function like most of us. For my vision is a truly inclusive community church, sharing my overwhelming love so that everyone is able to feel valued, enabled, fulfilled, engaged in the life of your fellowship, including parents and carers. The knowledge of how to do this exists among you. Just turn to me, seek my guidance, seek my enabling love, and surrender to me all of doubts and fears as you receive my peace, my excitement at the journey I will lead you through, transforming your very understanding and practice of community. And through this, you will be prepared for my dream to reveal and offer to your whole town a truly inclusive way to make community. Just as Father, Son and Holy Spirit are community, our true trinity, each and every member functioning in harmony, listening and sharing and arriving at a common understanding. This is the process of creation, envisioning every possible consequence arising out of our mutual affection, true respect, expressed through our love for all we create. So join me now, answer my call, and make a truly inclusive community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is a prophetic poem for us. I say, if you want to look at it, we're going to put it on the church blog, and uh, you can you can look at it and read it and attend to it in more in more detail. Thank you. Now, I want just just remember that because, as I said, the word that I brought was about um, that amazing experience where Peter, uh, through through uh, a vision is shown that God has no favorites. Everyone is included. Everyone is invited to the banquet. But I wonder, start with the question for today, is how many of you have had some kind of amazing experience or encounter with God, a revelation that really made a difference to, to you, a moment where you just felt such devotion and commitment to God? And yet then, as the days... And the weeks and the months went by. The kind of pressures and the, I don't know, just the everyday world made that experience kind of fade a little bit into the background as you struggle to live in normal life. And it's there and it was real and you can remember it, but kind of life has taken over a little bit. I always think of... Uh, a line of a poem I read many years ago by a guy called Stephen Spender. He was talking about the people who really achieved greatness. And he said this, What I had not foreseen was the common day weakening the will 
and leaking the brightness away. And sometimes it's just the mundane, everyday kind of world of pressures and stuff that can leak the brightness away. The experience was genuine, but kind of life takes over a little bit. Now, I just want you to bear that in mind so we're not too hard on Peter in a minute. Because Peter had this amazing, I mean, one of the most significant world-changing encounters recorded in biblical history. This, you remember the story, don't you, from Acts 10? Where I mean, this is, this is angelically arranged divine appointment between Peter and Cornelius. Angels appearing, a vision from heaven of this food. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And, and, and so now, because of that experience, the gospel goes to the whole world. It wasn't just this little Jewish group. It was, goes to the whole world because of this amazing experience. And then, of course, Peter meets Cornelius. And then the Holy Spirit moves. They start prophesying and speaking in tongues. It was amazing. An outstanding encounter and a revelation for Peter. He saw that God has no favorites. That there's nobody who's unclean, nobody who's outsiders, nobody who are dogs, which is what the Jews used to call the Gentiles. Everybody gets to be included and Jesus seemed to have a particular heart for those who were often excluded by the religious powers of his time for the marginalized, just as Brian's poem reminded us. That's the kind of community we want to build. And yet, and yet just a few years later, We get to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. You might just want to look at it. By this time, there's another leader who God is using amazingly called Paul. There's one named Peter and one called Paul. Uh, And uh, stop there now. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Um, And Paul, it's agreed, it's agreed between them that Peter actually, despite this revelation that he had, he will mainly be the apostle to the Jews. And Paul was called as an apostle to the Gentiles. But remember, it was Peter who first had this amazing revelation that the gospel was for everyone. Now, Galatians 2, Paul is talking about how, we'll go to verse 6. Um, He's talking about his relationship with the other leaders. And he says this, the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. He doesn't mean that in a big-headed way. He means he was carrying a revelation the same as them. And by the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me. He wasn't intimidated by that. But he says this, for God has no favorites. Because Paul realized also, God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And then it goes on a little bit more. Okay, we'll carry on. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Again, let's look out for the marginalized. Then it says this, but when Peter came to Antioch, notice this, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, 
Other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, the truth of the gospel message, my friends, means that everybody gets to be included. This is when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like the Gentile, why are you fo- trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So you can see what's happened here, can't you? Because there's some pressure, because although Peter had this amazing revelation that you didn't have to be Jewish in order for this gospel to to change you, for you to receive Christ. You didn't have to have Christ and a little bit of the law, the Jewish customs like being circumcised, for example, or only eating certain things. It's not Jesus and a bit of Jewish religion. okay? And Paul understood that. And Peter understood that. But Peter stopped living according to the revelation that he had when he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles because he was afraid of what that group would say. Do you understand what's happening here? The point is this. Peter has this amazing revelation, this amazing encounter with God, and yet he doesn't always act in accordance with what he saw. That's why I asked you whether you've ever experienced something like that, so we're not too hard on Peter. But there is a little bit of a pattern here with Peter. Do you remember that time when he, he's with Jesus? You can read about it in Matthew chapter 16. He's with Jesus, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Give him some answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And can I just say, I just feel pressed to say this today. It is a crucial question that each and every one of us is to say, who is Jesus to us? Not who is Jesus to, you know, it's not about being part of the church. It's who is Jesus to us? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just months before he was executed, for his part in the the assassination attempt on Hitler, he said this, I've been thinking constantly about this question, who is Jesus to us? And we must always say, who is Jesus to us? But anyway, Peter replies, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? He says, well done, Peter. He says, you you know, no man revealed this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. And you are a rock, and on you I will build my church. And Wow. That's an amazing moment of encounter and revelation. Just a little while later, do you remember what happened? Jesus says, well, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify him and then I'll rise down. Peter says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, that can never happen. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. This guy had gone from, ooh, you've got such a revelation, I'm going to, you're the rock on which I'll build my church, to now you're the devil. Or do you remember the time... And what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus, sorry, Peter goes up the mountain with Jesus and with James and John. And, and then suddenly Jesus is glorified, transfigured amongst them. And with him appear Moses and Elijah. It's just an amazing moment again of encountering the glory of God, just like we've been singing this morning. We want to see your glory. Peter's there, but what does Peter do in that moment of encounter? He goes and puts his foot in his mouth. And he says, I know, I know, this is what we should do. We should build a booth for each of you. And, and, and what does God say? He says, shh, 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 Peter, this is not the time for talking. Do you know there are moments in God's presence, it's not the time for talking. 
It's just the time for being still and knowing that he is God. Sometimes we talk too much. (laughs) And we just need to wait and enjoy the presence of God. I know that's a call in the kettle, but you know, we do sometimes. Just need to be quiet before the Lord. By the way, just on that, while I'm on that, I was sharing this the other day. This whole thing about building booths for um, Moses, Jesus, and Elijah. One of the reasons that that's a no-no is because... Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, which is what the Jews understood then as their scriptures. Jesus is above the Bible. He's not just equal with the Bible. In fact, if you don't understand your Bible through the lens of Jesus, you won't understand your Bible right. Jesus is more important than the Bible. The Bible is important only insofar as it points us to Jesus. And that's why it was wrong to give them equal, uh, I don't know, three billboards or whatever. Uh, film like film or something like that, but anyway, um, three little notices. It's, you lost. It. You see, I'm very current and up to date, you know. You see, that's what. So Jesus is, but but Peter puts his foot in his mouth and starts to speak when he should be quiet. He would do that sometimes, that kind of thing. And then, of course, is that awful time. We've had a moment of revelation, a moment of encounter, but then there's a moment where expressing devotion. To Jesus, he says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, no, you're going to leave me. He says, no, 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 Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter. And Jesus, you just look at him with such love in his eyes. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Despite his protestation, his expressions of utter devotion. And sure enough, before the cock crowed, he denied his Lord three times and he just wept bitterly when he realized what he'd done. Peter had to face his own fear, his own failure, his own shadow self as I've sometimes referred to it. And it was fear, just as it was fear here in Galatians 2 verse 12. It says, when he first arrived, this is talking about Peter, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. Why? It says later on, he was afraid of criticism. From those people. He was afraid of criticism. From those people. Fear. Lies at the root. Of a lot of our issues. That stop us. From. Being all that God wants us to be. You see. Peter. Was alive spiritually. But he also. But he still had a broken soul. And here he, had to, he came face to face with his broken soul and it had fear all over it. So, so when, when you know, he had the revelation of the Christ, it was when Jesus said, no, I've got to be crucified. He said, oh, no, no, no. Because his idea of the kingdom and the king was being challenged so much. He thought Jesus should like, come in as a conquering hero, as the Messiah to extend the kingdom of God against the Romans. And Jesus was challenging his whole way of thinking. And fear said, oh, no, by no means, that will never be. Same even in the encounter with, on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is a moment of glory, of the presence of God. And, and Peter, because of his fear, has to take control in some way. Fear does that. It makes you need to take control. But that was not a time for contr- anybody controlling anything. It was a time for just encountering the presence of God. And of course, fear caused him to deny his Lord. Fear is a big problem. 
Now, please understand this. Why am I sharing all this? Why am I, why am I giving such a downer on Peter? Well, I've shown that we can be just like it as well. But you see, Peter's revelation was real. His encounter with God was real. Amazing experience in Acts 10. It was real. It was the genuine article. But it didn't mean that he didn't have a brokenness in his soul. That he still had a shadow self. That it manifested itself in fear. Oh yeah, it was a fear that sometimes masqueraded as boldness but was just bravado. It was fear. And I'm not talking about a spirit of fear that can just be solved in a moment. I'm talking about something that was a pattern in his soul that had to be changed, that had to be reformed and would take time. As we see, even despite that amazing experience in Acts 10 by Galatians 2, he's still struggling with fear. He's a man of God. Remember remember Acts 3, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have give I unto thee. Bang! Healing. He can move in the spirit, but he still had an issue in his soul. It's important, you see, that we understand the difference between being alive in our spirit, but still being, needing to be made whole in our soul. Don't, don't you find that when, when we worship like this morning, your spirit comes alive? Yeah, don't you just, the presence of God, you feel so alive in your spirit. That's genuine. That's real. I'm not in any way discounting that. But how many of you have been like me? I've, I've had times where I've just had such an amazing time in the presence of God and worship and revelation is coming through the word. And then give me just a few minutes later with the kids or whatever and I'm acting like a complete jerk. A total idiot. I'm behaving like it. I'm not that. It's not my identity. But I can behave like it sometimes. Despite having this amazing spiritual experience. Why? Because there's still a brokenness in my soul that's getting fixed in process. You say, I, I love the presence of God. I love spiritual encounters. You know, I, I, it's, it, what's that song we sing? I come alive. I come alive on God's great dance floor. I love all of that. But I also need, I know, I, I need to go on the journey of God of healing and mending my broken soul. And the two do not contradict one another. It's important to understand the difference of the Spirit of the soul. And can I just say this? When I was speaking on this last time, if you haven't heard it, I, I encourage you to get, get the tape. Um, oh, oh, sorry, what do we say now? Listen to the download. Yeah. Um, get the tape. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. A cassette, you know? No, okay. Pencil. No, no, um, uh, you know, get the download. So I talked about the importance of the rhythm of the river. The river is representing life in the spirit. Our walk with God. But the river has rhythms to it. So sometimes it's like a, a, a bubbling brook. Sometimes it's like rapids. Okay, other times it's calm and still. And you've got to be able to embrace all. Don't be an either-or person is what I was encouraging you saying. Oh, I only like it when there's a charismatic bubbling and springing up. Oh, I love all that. Oh, I don't like this stillness bit. No, no, be open to the whole rhythm of the river. It's important. And all I would say is this. Is you, we seem to need times of stillness for the restoration of the soul. Remember the psalmist, he says, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So enjoy by all means the times when it's great and it's encountering this, the, the pool is stirring. But you will need times of just quietness before God. There's biblical references for it. Be still 
and know that I am God. It is good to wait quietly before the Lord. As charismatics, we've tended to emphasize the experiences of the Spirit, the, 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 springing, the springing up and the, the bubbling brook and the stirred pool. And that's great. But embrace it all. At times we can feel so alive in our spirit, but we still really have an unhealthy soul. And eventually, a sick soul will begin to affect your spirit. So we need to learn how to respond to God in the journey of healing of our soul. I remember hearing years ago about an evangelist, I'm not going to mention his name, but a great evangelist, a healer, and a man who was used in great ways by God in healing. Not just evangelism, but healing. He was a healing evangelist. Miracles that happened through him. But the guy, sadly, was also an alcoholic. Even while God was using him in healings, he was dealing with that brokenness in his soul. Died, quite sadly, of, from alcohol poisoning. You see, Peter Cesaro is, 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 uh, often says this. He says, Jesus is in my heart, but granddad is in my bones. <laughs> You know, we have patterns in our soul, in our behavior, in our emotions, which are handed down to us largely from the family of origin. And we have to learn, in the grace of God, to deal with those. Otherwise, we, we, we end up making a mess. We end up making a mess in our... If we don't deal with it, we end up making a mess in our relationships and so on. Here's a little illustration. Um, <clears throat> uh, nearly all of our children have kind of left home to varying degrees. So two of them have actually got their own home now. They're married and have got their own home now. And two of them are students. And so uh, they, they, we're glad that they come back um, from time to time. I'm going to say glad that they go away again. But I don't mean that. I don't mean But uh, they do then go away again. Um, and the house is empty. Now, one of the things I learned through this process of our, ch- our children leaving home, house is empty. It's got just my wife and I. And it's wonderful. Um, but uh, what I learned in this process is I used to think that it was my kids who made all the mess in the house. Please, don't tell, don't tell the, the, my kids I said any of this now. Okay, What I'm about to say, don't tell them that I said this. I used to think it's, and I was grumpy dad, you know, because I'm still got a broken soul. So I could be grumpy dad at times and say, well, you need to tidy up after yourself. Get this mess. You need to get it upstairs into your bedroom and tidy your bedroom. You know, this all this mess. It's all your mess. As a result of them leaving home, I've had to face the fact. It's an inconvenient truth. It's an uncomfortable fact. I've realized that it's actually my wife, Alison, who's making all the mess. That's what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm joking. Uh, uh, no, I've had to face the uncomfortable fact that I contributed to that mess that I was criticizing other people for creating. And when we don't realize we're still in process, folks, of having our soul mended, we can end up blaming everybody else around us for the mess that we actually, at the very least, contributed to. Okay? And that's what happens when we don't deal with our broken soul. Okay. I'm not going to spend an awful lot more time on this other than to say, I'm going to direct you to, actually, I brought a word a couple of years ago about the restoration of the soul. I shared with you the journey that God had taken me on when I, I'd been called to, I really was taken by the whole calling of restoring our world, the restoration of all things. Many of us had. We'd caught that message. 
And then God had to take me on a journey. He says, you're trying to change the world, but he wouldn't allow me to change you. And, and if, you're going to have a rest- if you want to seek a restored world, you've got to start here with a restored soul. I just gave three things, and all I'm going to do is mention them again now. Maybe just focus on one of them and encourage you maybe to, to listen to that again. But in order to take care of your soul, and by the way, Christian ministers or leaders, um, church leaders in centuries past, they understood that their calling was what, what they was called the cure of souls. Cure, it does not cure in the same sense as we mean in terms of um, making something well, in the sense of healing it necessarily. It's more like you think of a curator of a museum, for example. It's the care of souls, which is why in the Anglican church, a trainee vicar is called a curate, because they realize that the main calling is actually the cure of souls through prayer and the ministry of the word. So I'm going to give you some just advice in helping you take care of your own souls. Recognize you're alive in the spirit. Wonderful. Enjoy it. But we need to go on the journey of the care of our souls. And there's three things I encourage you to think about. Number one is recognize that the emotions are the language of the soul. The emotions are the language of the soul. So when things are going off inside of you emotionally, listen to them. Take note of If only Peter had taken note of the, the emotions. You know when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus? It might have saved a guy having his ear chopped off, mightn't he? If he had stopped and said, I wonder what's going on inside of me right now. With all of this anger that I'm feeling and this violence. Listen to your emotions. Your emotions are like the, the lights that light up on your dashboard in the car. And they start lighting up. It's time to stop the car, get out, <laughs> lift up the bonnet, and see what's going on inside the engine. Listen to your emotions. Folks, that's why we, we, we talk about this emotional health. It's really about the care of our souls. It's not, it's not just about healing. Let me just nail that one again if I can. It's not... So when we talk about emotional health, it's not just talking about going to have some... Say you've got a... I don't know. Pen, here, here, here I show the limits of my medical knowledge. but You've got appendicitis or whatever. Something. Something you can go in. They can do an operation or they can give you some tablets whatever and it's fixed. It's not like that. It's much more about learning to live a healthy lifestyle. So emotional health is not necessarily going in and getting the healing. It's learning the ways of living healthily. Interestingly, I was listening to somebody recently who said a lot of the, a high percentage of the people who are going into hospital or visiting doctors don't have what you might call, I don't know if the word is medical, they don't have specific physical ailments as such. A lot of it is actually coming from an unhealthy soul. All kinds of emotional problems and mental, I'm not saying all mental illnesses are a result of that, but, and, and just bad lifestyle, bad relationships, causing them to be sick in soul and that affects their body. Um, so this is about learning a life of emotional health or soul health. And then there's what I call the rhythms of the soul. The importance of being able to just, just slow down sometimes. In all your work for God, don't forget to spend time with God. Okay, And, and, and just build that into your week, into your day. Um, uh, Nathan brought a great word recently about the importance of the Sabbath, for example. That's part of the rhythm of the soul. And again, remember what I said about the rhythm of the river. Be open to, don't, don't limit yourself to one kind of, this is how I encounter God, this is how I pray. No, be open to all kinds of um, expressions of prayer and, and walking in the spirit. Don't limit yourself to the one charismatic way that you're brought up with. 
We learn to, just to show how up and to speed I am, we need to learn the shape of water. Two films for the price of one there, for those of you who are really attentive. Okay, so the rhythm of the river. Okay, so learn, take note of the emotions because they're the language of your soul. Learn the rhythms of your soul. And finally, watch out for the enemies of the soul. Watch out for the enemies of the soul. I'm talking about things like fear, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, self-loathing, comparing yourself to others. These things will kill your soul if you don't deal with them. Please, and this is my appeal, don't hide them behind spiritual experiences. This is why it's so important to understand the difference between the spirit and the soul. You can have genuine spiritual experiences and still have an unhealthy soul. Hey, let's flip it around though, hey? Let's flip it around a minute. It's okay, however messed up you are, God can still use you. <laughs> okay? You know, we're all messed up to varying degrees. We've all got varying degrees of brokenness. But God can still use us. Just don't think that that excuses you or gets you out of the journey of the care of the soul. Okay? But please, don't hide them behind spiritual experiences. And don't withdraw into a cave. But let him call you out, even if it's by his still small voice, because he wants to heal your soul and teach you the ways of soul health. What does, let's finish with this, what does a healthy soul look like? Well, if with Peter, one of the main characteristics of his unhealthy soul was fear, the Bible teaches us a perfect love casts out all fear. And the indication that your soul is healthy is love. You love God. You know that you are loved by God. You may need Sometimes because of our soul, we need to be reminded of that. But we know that we are loved by God, that we are loved children of God. And so we're able to love ourselves instead of beating up on ourselves or projecting that onto others (laughs) because we're able to love others. That's the sign of a healthy soul, which is why I love, I absolutely love the way that Jesus restores Peter. After he's denied him three times, what does he get him to do? He asks him three times to correspond with his three denials. He asks him three, three times, Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. And Peter begins to get a bit annoyed with Jesus. Why are you asking me again? Because it's three times, Peter. It's the scholar, even though you rejected me, even though you denied me, I'm restoring you through love. And I'm restoring you through getting you to understand that you love me. You know, once I remember as a student, I was lying in my bed, and I was all messed up at the time. Sorry, I was even more messed up then. (laughs) I've been on a bit of a journey, but I was even more messed up then. And I remember saying to God, please help me. And and I'm saying, I know that you love me. I know that you love me. Because people have told me, I know that you love me. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. The problem is, is you don't believe that you love me. He said that to me. God says, you don't believe that you love me. And actually a release came to me. So I'm just saying this because it might be for somebody here. Actually, God, I do love you. I kept on thinking I was a total loser who was always just messing up because I didn't really love God. I was a half-hearted, not a true disciple. I had doubts all about myself. And it was him getting me to say that I loved him that helped to release me. But love is the key to a healthy soul and the sign of a healthy soul. But notice this. Love is not always just cuddly and sweetness and light. What does Paul do to Peter. He confronts him. And there is a place in love for brave communication, 
for holy confrontation, godly confrontation. There's a way to do it. Don't use it as an excuse for just letting out, letting all you feel about people at them. There's a good way to do it. But Paul does it. Paul does it to Peter. He says, Peter, you're not living according to your true values. I believe in a better you than you do at the moment. That's what he was doing. And so in love, there's a place for holy confrontation. But love is the key and the sign of a healthy soul. In these two messages, I would encourage you to, if you haven't heard the first one, to read it, to, to, to listen to it, because I've touched upon three areas which I believe... I'm, going to, I'm sure I'm going to be talking more on them and others will talk more about them as well. Three areas which I think will help to shape the culture and the future of this church family. One of them is that we go with the river of God, life in the spirit, but we don't have a fixed idea of what that looks like. So we're not either or people. You know, we're able to embrace different expressions of life in the spirit, of prayer, of worship, were open to them. But it has to be in the spirit, not just going with a fad or with the mind, but flowing with the spirit. Here's a second one. There's no them and us. There's only us. People get to believe before, sorry, get to belong before they believe or become. People are accepted and included. All that was expressed in Brian's poem. That will be a key feature of the culture and the future of this church. And a third one is, if you want to do that, if you want to be a people who are not either or, or not us and them, you have to have a healthy soul. So if we are to not just have lots of spiritual experiences, but to actually be a healthy community and healthy people, we need to go after the restoration and the care of our souls. Those three things, I'm not saying it's the only things, but those three things are going to be key strands in shaping the culture and the future of this church. You glad about that? Yeah. I am. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Father, we love worshipping you. We love it, as we've done this morning, when we encounter you and you present yourself among us and we feel alive. It's wonderful, it's beautiful. We don't want any less of that. We want more of that. But also, Father, we were just saying to you that we want to be responsive to you, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, as you lead us on the journey of, of seeing our souls made fully healthy. Lord, for us to... To be relationally healthy, we need to be healthy in our souls. And so, Holy Spirit, say to you, we want you to take us on that journey. We're not going to pit these two things against the other. We want both and, Lord. Spirits that are alive and souls that are healthy. Lead us on this journey, please, Holy Spirit, and help us along the way. Amen. Amen. Amen.